0: So we've got uh, Psalm 8, and I've been using this uh, commentary by Eric Lane as a guide. Uh, Very good, very good stuff in here. Uh, The Lord Saves is the subtitle. And then I also brought with to uh, show off here, uh, this has gotten great use over the years. It's a parallel commentary of Spurgeon's Treasury of David on the Psalms and John Calvin's commentary on the Psalms, and Matthew Henry, and it's got it all side by side, which is really, really nice, really cool. So I used these kind of primary sources and then also branched out to a lot of other people, um, some people I'd never even heard of before, one being Henry Law. He was very helpful uh, in pointing me to Christ in the psalm just from beginning to end, which was uh, really, really good. So uh, go ahead and read our scripture. It's Psalm 8. It's to the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And amen. And God bless the reading of his word. So uh, to start things off tonight, I thought I'd read... uh, this is uh, part of the introduction to uh, treasury of David by Spurgeon. Uh, just really, really beautiful stuff that he's written here. Um, he says, David is unable to express the glory of God. He utters a note of exclamation, O Jehovah, our Lord. We need not wonder at this, for no heart can measure, no tongue can utter the half of the greatness of Jehovah. The whole creation is full of his glory and radiant with the excellency of his power. His goodness and his wisdom are manifested on every hand. The countless myriads of terrestrial beings, from man the head to the creeping worm at the foot. All are supported and nourished by the divine bounty. The solid fabric of the universe leans upon his eternal arm. Universally is he present, and everywhere is his name excellent. God works everywhere. There is no place where God is not. The miracles of his power await us on all sides. Traverse the silent valleys where the rocks enclose you on either side, rising like the battlements of heaven till you can see but a strip of the blue sky far overhead. You may be the only traveler who has passed through that glen. The bird may start up affrighted, and the moss may tremble beneath the first tread of human foot. But God is there in a thousand wonders, upholding rocky barriers filling the flower cups with their perfume and refreshing the lonely pines with the breath of his mouth. Everywhere and in every place God dwells and is manifestly at work. Nor on earth alone is Jehovah extolled, for his brightness shines forth in the firmament above the earth. His glory exceeds the glory of the starry heavens, Above the region of the stars he hath set fast his everlasting throne, and there he dwells in light ineffable. Note the fact that even the heavens cannot contain his glory. It is set above the heavens, since it is and ever must be too great for the creature to express Just beautiful stuff that uh, Spurgeon has written. I I could have gone on and just read that whole thing, but uh, so we we begin the psalm with the two words. My initial thoughts were, he begins with "O Lord, uh, O Yahweh," and as Spurgeon said, he's extolling the name of God, uh, crying out and calling on the name of the Lord. I could almost picture David at night uh, tending to his flock of sheep, looking up at the sky and calling on his Lord. And you get a... Small glimpse just in two words of the gospel of a of a man calling on the Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on, he says, O oh Lord, our Lord. The Our Lord shows the unity of Christ's church. Right? We stay together in Jesus Christ, right? And we proclaim He is our Lord, our precious possession. And we here at our church here at Catherine Lake Baptist Church, we have something special because we have Christ. Christ Himself for our Savior. You can see... By our billboard that we put up, Jesus Christ is Lord. You see by the other billboards that other churches have put up, it's focused mainly on man, right? And it's truly our blessing that we can say together, he's our Lord. Spurgeon said, what a sweetness lies in the little word, our. How much is God's glory endeared to us when we consider our interest in him as our Lord and Savior? The Hebrew word for Lord is Adon, meaning firm, strong, Lord, master, and king. The Lord of the whole earth, the heavens and the universe. It carries with it the idea of his sovereign ruling. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. This is a term of royalty, right? His excellency, his majesty, right? It would be a very appropriate way to address the king of all the universe. And how majestic is his name? The Hebrew word name is Shem, meaning name, reputation, fame, and glory. And again, this is evangelical right god has highly exalted christ and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father and that there is salvation in none else there's no other name given among men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. Spurgeon said, No words can express that excellency, and therefore it is left as a note of exclamation. The very name of Jehovah is excellent. Then what must his person be? If his name is excellent, his person must be even more excellent. God has set his glory above the heavens. His greatness and excellence seen here. He created the heavens, the earth, and everything that is therein. If you just stop and think about how big The universe is. Now stop and think about how much greater God is. You have set your glory above the heavens. Even the heavens cannot contain his glory. It is set above the heavens since it is and ever must be too great for the creature to express and as i read i began to think about how i this affected me as i was studying i was going through and you know i'm applying this to myself and i'm thinking here i have been guilty of holding Too small of a view of God, right? And uh, there's been a lot of times where I have uh, behaved or I have thought or I have spoken as if God was not perfect and excellent and his majesty and king of all the earth and all the heavens and all the universe. And this helped me, uh, you know, I, I repent of that and um, helped raise my affections and my view of God higher uh, that maybe, you know, I need to uh, check in with his excellency before I, you know, think, right, before I'm taken in thought, right, then I should weigh these thoughts against his excellency, Right? I should weigh my words before I speak them up against His excellency. Right? I should weigh in before I act with His excellency. Henry Law said that God's name is excellent in all His works, but especially in Christ. He said how precious is the right of faith to claim an interest in God It would be vain to say that the Lord is Lord unless we could annex O oh Lord our Lord but in his own son God gives himself to us Each true believer may exult This God is our God forever and ever What thought can grasp God's glory its dazzling brightness Defies the sight of mortal eye. Its breadth and its length, its depth and its height exceed all space. It more than fills the universe and soars above the heaven of heavens. None less than God can grasp this knowledge. But earth is chosen as the favored spot of wondrous revelation. His name is here made manifest in the face of Jesus Christ. Throughout earth's wide expanse, his name is gloriously sounded. All other knowledge fades in comparison. We stand amazed at the surpassing excellence of Christ. David goes on to say, out of the mouth of of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger now we don't know the circumstances in David's life that prompted these words but what we do know is the circumstance in which Christ quoted this verse so if you would uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew twenty one. This will be Matthew twenty one, and this will be fourteen through sixteen. Matthew twenty-one fourteen through 16. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So we see, this is in Jerusalem, the children are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David as Jesus was healing the blind and the lame. And he's He's doing these wonderful things, and here these uh, scribes and Pharisees and priests are, you know, angry with him. And Jesus quotes this verse, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained praise. Henry Law said that we also see this word inscribed on the gospel's mighty course. How poor, how weak, how feeble in themselves are the messengers of grace. They go forth as infants against hosts of giants. As David against Goliath. As against them, the learning of the world Combine in strong array. The gospel's voice seems tiny to compete, but it prevails. The idols of the world succumb. The most clever arguments of vain philosophy, the mightiest efforts of conceited reason, the dagons of skill and learning lick the dust. The enemy is stilled, opposing lips are mute. There is a power in God's own truth proclaimed by the feeblest lips before which Satan and his legion and all the disputants of earth must ever quail. Let no true minister of Christ complain that he is weak. He is strong in speech whom God instructs. He will prevail by whose mouth the spirit deigns to utter the gospel truth. On the uh, children crying Hosanna in the temple, Spurgeon said, When the proud Pharisees were silent, did not the Savior quote these very words as justification of the infantile cries? He who delights in the songs of angels is pleased to honor himself in the eyes of his enemies by the praises of little children. What a contrast between the glory above the heavens and the mouths of babes and sucklings. Yet by both, the name of God is made excellent. And uh, again, you know, the words are applied by Christ uh, to the children in the temple who were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And it is out of their mouths that God had prepared praise. And Christ quotes the verse in defense of the children, right? And it, it stops the enemy. Right. The Pharisees and the scribes were the enemies in this situation. And it stopped them. Right. They wanted, uh, revenge for themselves against him. Right. But they were silenced and stopped and stilled by this quote. And, you know, this verse made me think of, uh, Made me think of something uh, Paul Washer had said in a sermon he was preaching at a conference or something, and uh, he said he said he he liked to think of his calling as a a Gideon's calling, and he said it's where God takes that which is little and least, and you know just nothing in this earth and dirty and he 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 picks it up and he cleans it off and he makes it new right and that's what this verse made me think of is you know out of the mouths of babies and infants he's established strength and even to the extent of uh, it made me think of what, what comes out of the mouths of babies. And the the Hebrew word for infants literally means sucklers, right? So we're talking about baby babies that can't even form words, right? What What is it about their coups and their cause that... That praise God and you know the fact that they're breathing and the fact that they're making those noises is positive proof that they are alive in God's world and in that sense they do praise their maker. And David says when he looks at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. And of course, here we have a, uh, an anthropomorphism uh, because we know, you know, God is spirit and those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, does God have fingers, right? The, the thing is written to give us the picture of God like a potter making it with His hands, right? I thought it was interesting that the word fingers in the Hebrew could mean fingers or toes. So, you know, you say... When I look at the heavens, the work of your toes just doesn't carry the same thrust, though. So but the idea is like a potter with the clay. He's forming it with his hands. He made it right. He made the universe, the starry skies, the sun and the moon and everything that is in it. He made it. And, of course, this goes against what the world teaches, right? And what does the world teach, right? Does the world teach that God made everything? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not even really quite sure what the world teaches because it sounds like a bunch of nonsense to me, you know, Uh, that... uh, out of a vacuum of nothing that was chaotic, somehow nothing exploded and made everything that we see today with fine tuning and order. Okay? Or something like that. If, if I'm, I'm, I'm trying to represent the nonsense as best I can. But again, if you've thought through that at all, it just doesn't make sense. It would make more sense that a great big powerful God made everything, right? And this is even as simple as, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Right? Well, it had to be the chicken, right? Cuz if it was the egg, where did the egg come from? Right? And if you and if you want to take that position, then you've entered into the ridiculous position of an infinite regression because then you have to say where the egg came from and where that thing came from and where the thing before that came from and that never ends, right? So it's better to say God made the world, it's the work of his fingers and toes, right? Right? The next verse, uh, verse four, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This uh, this verse is really where uh, things opened up for me. Um, I found this quote from uh, James Janeway. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing the last name right, but he said, a humble soul is filled with astonishment when he considers the heavens Oh, says the humble soul, will the Lord have respect unto such a vile worm as I? Will the Lord acquaint himself with such a sinful wretch as I am? Will the Lord open his arms, his bosom, his heart to me? Shall such a loathsome creature as I find favor in his eyes? This is love indeed, that God should take a filthy, wretched thing and make it his. Oh, the depths of the riches of the bounty and goodness of God. How astonishing is His love and His grace past finding out. Oh, the wonder of God's goodness. Oh, the condesc- condescension of His love to visit me, to wait upon me, to be acquainted with me. This is wonderful. Uh, the The... The real marvel here, the, the thrust of the verse is, is a dual meaning, right? Because you're, you're beginning with this great big God who made these great big heavens and this great big earth. And then you have man, which is seemingly insignificant when compared to all the rest of the things mentioned And that really is the beginning thrust of it. But it's also, the thrust is clearly about Christ. Right? This verse is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews 2. Uh, If you will, turn to Hebrews 2. And this is verses 5 through 9, Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So we see clearly uh, that the, you know, when you interpret Scripture with Scripture, the New Testament names Jesus. Right? This verse, uh, this whole chapter really just pointed to Christ and his time. And when I looked at the when I looked at the Hebrew, the question, what is man, would would liter, would literally read, of what kind is mankind? Of what kind is mankind? And I couldn't help but giggle a little bit because you know what this made me think of, made me think of the the Supreme Court judge who was asked during the appointment hearings, what, what is a woman? Right? And she said, I'm not a biologist and I can't answer the question. You know, I can't answer because I'm not a biologist. Right? And and it's, it's silly. And Matt Walsh did a really good uh, documentary. This is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. It's but uh, what is a woman? A woman is an adult human female, right? It's, that's not a complicated question. Uh, but she wouldn't answer it. But this question made me think of that and I kind of just giggled, uh, because if it, if it said what is a man, right, we could answer that. A man is an adult human male. We wouldn't have to say, well, we'd need a biologist to answer that question, right? We can answer it because we know that God made man in his own image. And he made them male and female. Right? So we could say what a man is and what a woman is. Right? But that's not what he's asking. He's asking, what is man? Right. And man is made from a mist and a dust. And God breathed the breath of life in him. And made a living soul. And again he made him in the image of God. And that is of what kind we are. Right? And as for us as believers, we enjoy the special care right, of the Lord being mindful of us. Right, It's not just that we were a mist and a dust and the Lord breathed the breath of life into us and we became a living soul, but it's also that he is mindful of us and he's caring and specially loving us and providing for us and redeeming us in Christ. Again, the thrust of the verse is about Jesus who is the Son of Man and God was mindful and he cared enough about us to Send Christ to visit us, right? To take on flesh, to uh, tabernacle with us, right? Becoming fully God, or fe- being fully God and fully man, right? To live a perfect life, to die for the sins of his people, to be buried. Three days later to be raised to come in his glory and ascend on high to the right hand of God, where all authority on heaven and earth, all honor and glory are given to him. Right? Verse five. You made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor right after the after the the it was finished on the cross he was raised and ascended crowned with glory and honor right and given dominion and again there is a type of dual meaning here because it it was adam who originally was given dominion right he was given dominion and he lost it but there was still some retained by men if you look at the covenant god made with noah he repeated the same thing to noah be fruitful and multiply and have dominion on the earth right so Even though it was lost in Adam, it was retained to some extent. Maybe not the full extent that it was originally. But I believe if you look at the dual meaning here and you see the dominion Christ has, right? And again, how he is restoring us, right? I think we do have a piece of it. Again, not in the full measure that he has, obviously, right? But again, some proofs of this would be, you know, uh, fish don't work all week long so that they can go on trips with their fish buddies to hunt humans on the weekends, right? Right. But men do work all week long and plan fishing trips with their buddies. And why? Because we have dominion somewhat still over what God made, right? You know, deer don't form hunt clubs and go find humans, right? But men get in hunt clubs and go hunt deer, right? And again, there's something missing there, though, because it's not complete. Like, a bear could come out of the woods and rip you to shreds because this is a fallen world, right? But there is an element to dominion that man has because if I'm armed that bear is done right so there's there's a little bit of dominion still so the 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 thrust of man of what is man and seeing Christ in here made me also Take stock of what, what my view of myself should be, right? Because we we need to be careful, uh, you know, of being puffed up with pride, to think higher of ourselves than we ought to, because we're human and we are prone to sin like that. It's it's a short trip. It's not hard. So. Too high a view of self is, is sinful, right? That's wrong. And uh, what we as Christians believe is that we are sinners. And, you know, we're uh, sinners because we have a nature that is sinful, right? Our, our desires are out of whack, right? We, we, have, we have a problem, Right? We should not have a high view of ourselves. But that also needs to be tempered with what Christ did was to redeem us and make us a new creation so that we can have victory over sin. Right? that we can do like the pastor said this morning and let not sin have dominion over us right but again that's not according to our own strength left to our own strength like look man does not exist in a vacuum right we don't we don't drift we can't tread water right like the minute we're not looking at Christ we're we're falling we're drowning, right? We're we're dying. So, so uh, man made in God's image, redeemed by Christ. Okay, there there is a certain value there, right? There is a certain value to to that kind of life. But again, we have to be careful to not have too high of a value. Of ourselves, right? If we're going to place any value on it, any any uh, you know, self-esteem on it, it has to be based on the merits of Christ, right? If we're going to boast, let us boast in our weaknesses and Christ's strength, right? So, with that said. The application there is let's walk with the power that God gives us right to deny selfishness and lay the axe to the root of sin in our lives and kill it. And the chapter ends. The chapter goes out just the way. It begins in praise to God. And I wanted to end by uh, reading Calvin's closing remarks to the psalm. He picks up in verse 7. This is verses 7 through 9. We are not to understand David as meaning that it is a proof that man is invested with dominion over all the works of God. Because he clothes himself with the wool and the skin of beasts, because he lives upon their flesh and because he employs their labor for his own advantage. For this would be inconclusive reasoning. He only brings forward this as an example and as a mirror in which we may behold and contemplate the dominion over the works of his hands, with which God has honored man. The sum is this, God in creating man gave a demonstration of his infinite grace and more than fatherly love towards him, which ought justly to strike us with amazement. And although by the fall of man that happy condition has been almost entirely ruined, yet there is still in him some remains of the liberality which God then displayed towards him, which should suffice to fill us with admiration. In this mournful and wretched overthrow, it is true the legitimate order which God originally established no longer shines forth. But the faithful whom God gathers to himself under Christ their head enjoy so much of the fragments of the good things which they lost in Adam as may furnish them with with abundant matter of wonder at the singularly gracious manner in which God deals with them. David here confines his attention to God's temporal benefits, but it is our duty to rise higher and to contemplate the invaluable treasures of the kingdom of heaven which he has unfolded in Christ and all the gifts which belong to the spiritual life that by reflecting upon these Our hearts may be inflamed with love to God, that we may be stirred up to the practice of godliness and that we may not suffer ourselves to become slothful and remiss in celebrating his praises. And I'll just close by saying, let us not grow weary in godliness in our lives and let us not grow weary in praising the Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us tonight. And Lord, we just, we ask you to help us to get a clearer and higher and a bigger view of God. Lord, just Show us how big and awesome you are. Let us see more and more of you. And Lord, where where sin gets in the way, Lord, help us to kill it. Help us to fight. And Lord, help us to walk in godliness. Help us to walk with your praise on our lips. And, Lord, help us to keep clear heads about who we are and where we stand in the scheme of things. Lord, help us to not be proud. Help us to be humble. Help us to see rightly that we must deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow you. And Lord, help us to not only hear it and see it, but help us to commit to do it and help us to stay consistent in the doing by doing it daily, doing it moment by moment. And, Lord, we just pray that just forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of all the times we've held too low of a view of you and too high of a view of ourselves. Forgive us for that, Lord. And, Lord, help us to just commit ourselves anew and afresh to you tonight and tomorrow and this week. Lord, help us to just... Grow in grace and grow in sanctification and grow in Christ and see Him more and more. I pray this all in the glorious name of Christ. Amen.